revolution lives The revolution never dies All eyes are on it lip Cause they're keeping it alive Right viruses on the air Radio fresh shit fills the sky Doing what many would not dare Dodging bullets from both sides Abdul Sarut is on the mic Leading a protest in the streets It's just like seven years ago No surrender, no retreat revolution lives The revolution never dies All eyes are on it live Cause they're keeping it alive My mood is on the bridge Above the Idlib highway sign Waving the revolution flag Pride and defiance fill his eyes Rania Kaiser stands above Filming the thousands with one voice She tells the butcher he'll go down And on the day we will rejoice The revolution lives Revolution never dies All eyes are on it live Cause they're keeping it alive Well something's gotta give This just might be the time When we see the mountain top God give us strength to make the climb Whether Idlib is your home Or you came from another place Let's all sing the rally song Until it fills up every space The revolution lives Revolution never dies. All eyes are on it live. Cause they're keeping it alive. The revolution lives. The revolution never dies. All eyes are on it live. Cause they're keeping it alive 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 Revolution never dies Revolution never dies Right. Opening up with the song 
Idlib, The Revolution Lives by Dylan Connor. And a big shout out to um, the songster Dylan Connor for doing that um, extremely inspiring number with um, in solidarity with the heroic people of Idlib. And I've also been here in New York City, me and my friends have been in our own way trying to um, stand for Idlib, doing what we can to support the last refuge of the Syrian revolution, which is now under siege. This is the Counter Vortex with me, Bill Weinberg. And I uh, just want to point out, uh, you know, uh, in that song, and a lot of people don't uh, really have a clear picture, to say the very least, <laughs> of what's going on in Idlib and the um, how the forces of the pro-democratic, secular Syrian revolution, which began way back in March of 2011, are still alive in Idlib. And when uh, Dylan Connor sings the, in the line in that song, it's like seven years ago, he's referring to the protest movement, which began during um, what's called in the West, the Arab Spring, generally referred to as the Arab Revolution in the Arab world, where in Syria, just as that happened in Tunisia, in Egypt, in Libya, in Yemen, in Bahrain, etc., People uh, in March of 2011 began taking to the streets, demanding the downfall of the regime and demanding some kind of a transition to democracy, um, demanding this in a uh, completely peaceful, unarmed, nonviolent way and were serially met with the regime's bullets, serially massacred until finally... After this had gone on for months, peaceful protesters being gunned down by the regime's goons, finally, some of the opposition began to arm themselves and form the Free Syrian Army, and it escalated to the absolutely horrific situation now, where much of Syria lies in ruins. The number dead may be up to half a million. Something like 12 million people have been displaced. And with the help of um, massive Russian military intervention, the Assad regime has managed to reconquer most of the country before the Russians intervened, what, three years ago now. Um, the regime was down to just controlling about a third of Syria's territory. Now they've managed to reconquer nearly the entire country. The only significant pocket which really remains in the hands of the opposition is Idlib, the northern province. And for the past several weeks now, the uh, world has been anticipating that Assad and Putin are going to launch an offensive to take Idlib, which is already facing a humanitarian disaster, as you can imagine, being under siege. Many of people who have already been forced from their homes by the regime's atrocities and barbarities elsewhere in Syria have taken refuge in Idlib. So many of the people who are um, of the three million inhabitants of Idlib are themselves displaced from elsewhere in Syria. So there would be nowhere left to run if the regime were to take Idlib and start to impose the um, reprisals and disappearances and other atrocities which have um, been unleashed everywhere else that the regime has reconquered over the past year or two. 
And nonetheless, in the face of this, the civil opposition in Idlib, the same civil resistance networks which began the revolution way back in March of 2011, are still alive in Idlib. And for the past um, several weeks now, they have retaken up once again, now that the world's eyes are on Idlib in um, anticipation of the imminent invasion of the province. Uh, they have uh, once again returned to the tradition of holding weekly Friday demonstrations, which um, uh, was sort of the uh, the tactic which was taken up uh, back in the early days of the revolution, back in 2011. Every Friday, people would take to the streets to demand a um, democratic transition in Syria, to demand the downfall of the Bashar Assad regime. And now they are doing so once again in Idlib to demand that the, um, that the revolution, in fact, survive and to demand that the world do something to restrain Assad and Putin from reconquering the last refuge of the revolution. And you hear all of this talk, all of this endless, irresponsible talk from left, right, and center in this country about how Idlib is a terrorist enclave or an al-Qaeda stronghold, okay? This is a reference to um, elements which have emerged from the now-disbanded Nusra Front, significantly a faction by the name of Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, HTS. By the high estimates, they have perhaps 10,000 fighters in Idlib out of a population of 3 million so when people talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the jihadist or the terrorist in Idlib or whatnot, we're talking about a minute fraction of the population of Idlib. And even among the armed factions and the political forces which actually control territory on the ground, HTS and the other jihadist factions are a minority. You've also got the other militias which are affiliated with the Free Syrian Army, or independent militias which are not affiliated with the jihadists, which in fact oppose the jihadists. And more significantly, you have the civil resistance forces, which nobody wants to recognize. The unarmed, secular, civil opposition, which organized against the Bashar Assad dictatorship way back in 2011, and whose networks and organizations are still alive today in Idlib and have actually been, just as they have been uh, holding these weekly Friday protests to oppose the Assad regime and to oppose the reconquest of Idlib by the Assad regime, they have also been opposing HTS and the other jihadist factions in Idlib, opposing them through truly heroic tactics of nonviolent resistance and non-cooperation, such as they had used against the Assad regime to um, wrest the territory of Idlib from the regime in the first place, they are now continuing to use against the jihadist factions in those areas of Idlib where, in fact, the jihadist factions have control. And there are, um, there are now several areas of Idlib, several towns in Idlib, where HTS and its allied jihadist forces have actually been driven out by mass popular uprisings. Not even by 
armed uprisings or by, uh, you know, being, being driven out by, by rival armed factions, but being driven out by mass popular uprisings of the civil resistance, liberating their own territory from the goons of HTS, just as they had years ago liberated their own territory from the goons of the Bashar Assad regime. And uh, he, uh, Dylan Connor, mentioned some of these heroic figures in his song. He mentions Rania Kaisar, who is a woman who's been, um, even in areas which are controlled by the jihadist, she's been running schools um, where, you know, boys and girls are learning together and basically getting a, uh, a secular education rather than being, you know, indoctrinated in the jihadist ideology. She's been doing this in defiance of the jihadists, and um, seemingly she's been getting away with it because, uh, you know, the jihadists, even the jihadists have got to um, have maintain some kind of goodwill from the population in order, to, um, in order to maintain control of the territory, which, in fact, where they still, you know, are ostensibly in control. Sometimes they aren't even in that much control. He also mentions... Um, a similar project, he mentions Radio Fresh in the town of Kafran Bell, which uh, is a uh, an opposition radio station, which was launched to uh, have a voice of dissent and to a, a voice for the civil resistance to oppose the Assad regime. And now is continuing to broadcast in the town of Kafran Bell, even though that town um, has been contested by jihadist forces and they've and the jihadists have at times tried to intimidate them off the air tried to impose censorship on them and they have somehow managed to keep the radio station alive there was one very amusing incident last year where uh, the jihadists tried to um, impose censorship on them and as a um, sort of a, a means of um, as a means of protesting the censorship they began broadcasting hours of barnyard sounds, you know, uh, crowing roosters and mooing cattle and whatnot as a, uh, as a means of, you know, mocking uh, the um, uh, jihadist um, uh, dictate that they had to censor themselves and, um, and basically stop, you know, the pro- pro-democratic, pro-secular programming which they had been doing. So, I mean, these are people who are actually trying to keep pro-democratic values alive in defiance of the regime and in defiance of the jihadists and using nonviolent resistance tactics against both the regime and the jihadists and have actually managed to, you know, carve out a very significant autonomous zone for themselves in Idlib, which is now doubly under siege under siege from the jihadist factions and under siege from the Bashar Assad dictatorship and his Russian and Iranian allies. And they've been succeeding. They've been winning. They've been keeping alive their dissident voices. They've been keeping alive independent opposition radio stations such as Radio Fresh, keeping alive secular pro-democratic education such as the uh, projects of Rania Kaisar and keeping alive the weekly Friday demonstrations demanding a democratic future for Syria. And it seems to me so clear that the most basic and fundamental principles that progressives supposedly stand for urgently demand that we do all that we can 
to raise a voice of solidarity here in the West with the heroic civil opposition in Idlib, which is now in danger of being exterminated. And unfortunately, it is precisely the progressives and the so-called anti-war forces that are on the wrong side. Fills me with a great deal of anguish. Before I tell the little story that I'm uh, here to tell tonight, I just want to point out a glimmer of hope, and an ambiguous glimmer of hope, but nonetheless a glimmer of hope, precisely because of the, um, the outrage that people have managed to, um, to raise around the world under the slogan, Eyes on Idlib. People raising the alarm all over the world, doing what they can on social media and through activist efforts and in diplomatic circles to try to call a halt to the imminent invasion of Idlib. Finally, there was um, a deal which was worked out between Russia and Turkey to at least forestall, we don't know how long it's going to last, but at least to forestall the regime invasion of Idlib, where there's going to be a, um, what they're calling in somewhat Orwellian language, a demilitarized zone established in Idlib to separate the regime forces from the rebel forces. And the so-called demilitarized zone is, in fact, going to be militarized. It's going to be very heavily militarized. It's going to be jointly patrolled by Russian and Turkish troops. And uh, to my mind, it's extremely ominous because it sort of smells like the beginning of a, um, you know, a great power carve-up of Syria, of Syria's north. And it's certainly, it's not a long-term solution. It's a very imperfect solution. And like I say, a slightly, you know, ambivalent Victory, but nonetheless a victory. At least there isn't going to be a um, a massive regime offensive on Idlib backed up by Russian airstrikes, which is what we've been fearing for weeks now. That, for the moment, has been forestalled. So our activist efforts have actually paid off. And at a minimum, we have won more time and a little bit more breathing space for the people of Idlib to survive and to live to fight another day, and to keep alive the last remnant, the last stronghold of the Syrian revolution. And perhaps, just perhaps, that flame can begin to spread again. As long as the people in Idlib are protesting every Friday and calling for the downfall of the regime, just like the demonstrations that swept through Syria in 2011, and waving the flag of the Free Syria movement, Perhaps there is still hope for the Syrian revolution and for the Arab revolution in general. And we can roll back the reaction which we have seen over the past several years, both in Syria and in Egypt and in Bahrain, etc. Call me a dreamer, fine, but we're doing what we can. And one of the things which we've been doing, let me tell the story that I'm here to tell, is that, uh, all right, I am now uh, doing this broadcast on Saturday, September 29th, and last night, Friday, September 28th, I was standing with the Syria Peace Vigil in Union Square here in New York City in solidarity with Idlib. And just as the people in Idlib have been um, holding weekly Friday demonstrations for the past several weeks, uh, we in support, we here in New York City in... um, the Syria Peace Vigil group have been holding um, weekly vigils in Union Square where we stand with our signs 
reading Free Syria, Eyes on Idlib, Protect Idlib, and opposing the Russian bombardment, opposing the regime's plans to reconquer Idlib, opposing the regime's war of extermination against the Syrian people, opposing the thousands of forced disappearances, which uh, the United Nations Human Rights Council has actually stated that it's reached the point of a mass extermination, opposing all of that, doing what we can to try to raise a voice here in New York City on behalf of the Syrian people and their revolution. And uh, so we've been doing that every Friday for, um, for several months now at the southern end of Union Square, facing 14th Street. And usually amid the massive indifference from uh, passersby, we inevitably get some heartfelt expressions of support, usually from Syrians or other people of Middle Eastern background. And we get lots of hostility from those who have um, swallowed the pro-Assad line, which once again is being pervaded by left, right, and center in this country. And last night, the hostility was particularly egregious. So I was on leafleting duty. I was giving out leaflets to the passers-by while uh, my comrades were standing behind me with their signs reading, Free Syria, Protect Idlib, Eyes on Idlib. And uh, one guy comes by and takes my leaflet and says, quote, I'm really glad Bashar Assad is coming out on top now, end quote, verbatim. I remember it very well. So hopefully I do not have to elaborate on how utterly monstrous this statement is. I was about to argue with him, but then I noted that he was wearing a pin from the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Now, this entity, which is better termed the Party for Fascism and Dictatorship, is the central pillar of the International Answer Coalition, a poorly named anti-war group, which is in fact avidly pro-war, supports the war of extermination that Assad and Putin have been waging in Syria. They actually march with portraits of the war criminal Bashar Assad at their hypocritical anti-war rallies. And the documentation for this is on my website. The pictures are posted there, countervortex.org. So once I saw that pin, I realized that he wasn't worth arguing with and let him go on his way. But um, just a few minutes later, things got ugly. Two young folks came along, and uh, it was later revealed that they're from the same faction, from the so-called PSL, Party for Socialism and Liberation, <clears throat> rather ironically named group, one could say Orwellianly named group. So these two um, young guys come along, and uh, they take my leaflet, and they immediately start to argue with me. They see our Protect Idlib sign, and they immediately start in with the imperialism baiting. Who do you think should protect Idlib? Do you support U.S. intervention? So I replied that with massive Russian intervention, having already cost thousands of lives, three million people in Idlib preparing for a massacre with the threatened Assad-Putin invasion, their priority was somewhat misplaced. So uh, then they retort, but U.S. intervention always makes everything worse, despite the fact that I hadn't said anything in defense of U.S. intervention. So I start to explain that with a half million dead in Syria and 12 million displaced and cities in ruins, 
Making your central concern a mere hypothetical is, again, an extremely misplaced priority. And then comes the inevitable line about how Idlib is controlled by al-Qaeda, which it is not. But before I could respond, I noticed that one of them is wearing a pin with the North Korean flag. And I said, okay, that explains things. Never mind. And I started to walk away. But the guy with the pin follows me and tries to keep arguing, baiting me for finding a childish excuse to avoid him. I said, basically, that's okay. We don't have anything to talk about. I have no responsibility to engage you. Just move on. And then he starts to get threatening. He gets right in my face. And I do mean right in my damn face, nose to nose, giving me a classic glower and says, wouldn't you love to take a swing at me? And I responded, not my style, move on. Then he ups the ante. I'd love to take a swing at you, he said. I still didn't flinch, despite the fact that the guy was a head taller than me and probably about half my age. And we stood there eyeballing each other for a few tense seconds. And then his friend says, come on, man, and starts trying to pull him away. But before he goes, he actually does take a swing at me. But he intentionally misses and just knocks my hat off, sends my baseball cap flying. And as his friend drags him off, I call after them, okay, now we know what you guys stand for, bullying and thuggery. And he responds as he walked away, you called me a thug, which I actually didn't. What are you going to do, call the cops? Finishes off by calling me a white piece of shit, which I'm not exactly white either, but no point in even having that conversation or any conversation with him. He himself was of indeterminate ethnicity, presumably not white. Okay, now, um, I suppose it was a tactical error for me to use the word thuggery, given how the word thug has become loaded in American political discourse. But the thuggery that I was thinking of, as should have been clear from context, was that of the mass-murdering regimes that this fool supports. Does he even grasp how ironic his cop-baiting was? So just as our vigil was ending, folks were starting to gather in Union Square for the Black Lives Matter rally that had been called over the case of Botham Jean, the black man who was killed by a white police officer while sitting in in his own apartment in Dallas. And I stuck around for that and was demoralized to find that both the um, PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and... Various front groups for the um, Workers' World Party, which is um, another group with very, very similar politics from which PSL is an offshoot, had flooded the event with their mass-produced placards. And as usual, there were plenty of people who just didn't know any better and were cluelessly taking their placards and holding them. And their placards read, Abolish the police and jail killer cops. Now, these slogans, these anti-police slogans from factions that openly support the Bashar Assad regime, whose security forces have literally killed hundreds of thousands. And I'm not just talking about about killing insurgents on the battlefield. I'm not even talking about that. I am talking about disappearances and assassinations of opposition figures. Hundreds of thousands at least over 100,000 documented disappearances by human rights groups. K 
carried out by the security forces of the regimes that PSL and the Workers' World Party support. And they give out placards reading, Abolish the Police and Jail Killer Cops. Utter, utter hypocrisy. And nobody will recognize that we have a real serious problem here. And by here, I mean in progressive and anti-war and anti-racist forces in the United States. We have a real serious problem. So I want you to think about this. For standing last night peacefully against the bombardment of civilians, exercising my right to free speech and free expression in a public square in New York City, I was not only baselessly baited as being pro-war, which would be a perverse irony enough, I was not only subject to threats, but I was subject to actual violence. This guy actually took a swing at me and set my hat flying. So before I sign off, I just have um, a few final points to make about all of this. One is a message to, um, to PSL, for the Party for Socialism and Liberation. I should say, by the way, finally, that um, some of our uh, supporters in the uh, Syria Peace Vigil group were able to um, find a video online of the guy who threatened me last night and knocked my hat off speaking at an event sponsored by the Party for Socialism and Liberation, singing the praises of the Cuban regime, which, you know, I suppose is more innocent than singing the praises of the North Korean regime or the Bashar Assad regime. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's been established that the guy was a, um, a follower or a fellow traveler, at least, of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. So uh, the first thing I have to say is to you, Party for Socialism and Liberation, your follower is a goon. He physically threatened me and, in fact, took a swing at me for opposing war, for opposing the bombardment of civilian populations. So uh, I suggested you call off your goons, PSL. I suggest you have a talk with this fellow, whose name apparently was Ron. We were able to glean that much from the, vi- from the video. I wasn't able to get a surname. And the second thing that I have to say is, uh, you know, to my buddies in the War Resisters League, which is one of, you know, the longtime venerated anti-war organizations in the United States, founded in the immediate aftermath of the First World War, came out of efforts to um, oppose military conscription during the First World War. And, you know, I've been work. I was never actually a member formally of the War Resisters League, but I have been working intermittently with the War Resisters League for something like 25 or 30 years now on kind of, you know, an informal and de facto basis here and there on particular campaigns to support war resisters, to support people who are nonviolently opposing war and militarism all over the world, people who are opposing military conscription, people who are opposing um, the ethno-nationalists in the former Yugoslavia on both sides in Serbia and in Croatia, people who were opposing both the regimes of Milosevic and of Tudjman and demanding a multicultural future for the former Yugoslavia and ethnic coexistence, supporting the peasant pacifists of Colombia in places like um, the peace community of San Jose de Apartado, which I actually visited in 2002, 
Peasants who have declared their own village to be liberated territory and a neutral zone, refusing cooperation with all of the armed factions and for their refusal to cooperate with the government and the paramilitaries and the guerrillas alike, they have come under violent attack from all sides, particularly the right-wing paramilitaries. And then finally, to support the civil opposition in Iraq over the past 10 years, the feminists and the trade unionists and so on, who have been um, mobilizing, again, a secular civil opposition in Iraq to oppose the U.S. occupation and also to oppose the jihadist insurgents. And in fact, I actually represented War Resisters League, even though I'm not technically a member of the organization, I was sort of um, uh, given the responsibility to to formally represent them at uh, two anti-war conferences which were held in Japan about building international support for the civil resistance in Iraq. So I've been working with War Resisters League in various capacities for the past uh, 25 or 30 years. And I have also been dissenting throughout this period of their willingness to sign on as co-sponsors in so-called anti-war demonstrations with Workers' World and its front groups and splinter organizations such as the um, Party for Socialism and Liberation and International Answer, International Action Center, People's Power Assemblies, etc., etc. Because by doing so, WRL, you completely betray everything that you stand for and you normalize war crimes. You cannot oppose war in an alliance with people who support aggressive war and war crimes, and in fact, genocide. Because I submit that the Assad regime has escalated to genocide over the past couple of years, with what the UN itself has called a systematic extermination of disloyal sectors of the populace in the territory that it, or that it controls. And finally, um, over the course of the past few weeks, sometime over the course of the past few weeks, because on, um, you know, Facebook... I had been um, repeatedly calling out War Resisters League for um, continuing to sign on to rallies which had been either called, called by or at a minimum, you know, co-sponsored with Workers' World and its front groups and splinter factions. Finally, WRL blocked me on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I've um, continued to try to get some response from, you know, my longtime friends and comrades in the organization as to when they're going to deal with this contradiction, and I haven't got a word of response from them, I actually sent a letter by mail, and I mean actual mail, where you actually print out the words on a piece of paper and stick it in an envelope and lick the envelope and put a stamp on it at the post office, because that's the only means I had left of communicating with them. They weren't answering my emails. I actually sent them a real letter by mail at their office on Canal Street here in New York City to try to get some response from them on this question. No response. So, uh, you know, it's extremely painful that after something like 30 years of having intermittently worked with uh, WRL to um, support truly heroic, nonviolent opposition movements in places like Iraq and Colombia and the former Yugoslavia, now it seems I've come to a parting of the ways with them because I'm standing up and supporting a truly heroic, nonviolent opposition movement in Syria. And rather than um, 
forthrightly taking that side on the Syrian question, they've largely remained silent. They put out a couple of um, good statements over the years, which are basically saying the right thing about Syria. But not once, despite my repeated invitations, have they sent anybody to stand with us at our Syria peace vigil in Union Square on a Friday evening. And they continue to betray what they supposedly stand for by allying with groups which support the war criminal Bashar Assad. Openly support him, I will add. Actually marching with portraits of the genocidal dictator at their hypocritical anti-war rallies. And the last thing I'm going to say before I sign off here is just emphasizing how hypocritical these anti-war rallies are. The last time that the Answer Coalition had a, um, a big so-called anti-war rally <clears throat> where uh, we actually got um, photographs of the one that they held in Los Angeles where they're actually holding up portraits of Bashar Assad was uh, back in April after the, um, the United States launched airstrikes on Syrian air bases in response to the Assad regime's chemical attack, which had just been carried out. And I should point out, by the way, that there were no casualties, at least no deaths, and I'm pretty sure no casualties at all, but definitely no deaths. Nobody was killed in these airstrikes. Warplanes were destroyed. The same warplanes that the... Bashar Assad regime is using to, to rain death down on civilians were destroyed. And that's when these so-called anti-war hypocrites take to the streets. Whereas for the past several months, the U.S. every day has been bombing Syrian territory, which is held by ISIS. The city of Raqqa, which was the de facto ISIS capital in northern Syria, was virtually reduced to rubble by U.S. airstrikes, taking a horrific toll in civilian casualties. And not once did these so-called anti-war hypocrites in international answer and allied groups, not once did they protest it. Because in that case, the U.S. military was essentially serving as the air force of the Bashar Assad dictatorship and bombing territory which was held by forces which oppose Assad. And in fact, both sides were sort of racing as to who was going to, you know, the, the Assad regime and the, uh, and the U.S. and its allied forces on the ground, basically the uh, Kurdish militias, uh, were sort of racing with each other as to who was going to, uh, to take Raqqa first. They were both opposing, you know, ISIS, which was in control of... Um, which was in control of Raqqa. And of course, I oppose ISIS as well. And the Syrian rebels oppose ISIS as well. But, um, you know, reducing a, um, a city to rubble is not the way to oppose ISIS. And these airstrikes, which went on and are still going on, in fact, because there's still a few pockets of, um, small pockets of Syria, which continue to be controlled by ISIS, even though they've now been driven from Raqqa, which are continuing to come under U.S. bombardment. These airstrikes, which have been going on for months, jacking up a tremendous toll in civilian casualties. U.S. airstrikes have elicited no protest from the so-called anti-war hypocrites. But when some regime warplanes get bombed, then they all take to the streets and remember their so-called anti-war principles. So this is utter 
utter hypocrisy. They are not anti-war. They are pro-war. And there is nothing which is more repugnant than pro-war propaganda, which is disguised as anti-war propaganda. And our group in the Syria peace vigil, which has been opposing the bombardment of civilians by all sides in the war and opposing all intervention by the imperialist powers, first and foremost Russia, because it's first and foremost Russia is the imperialist power which has intervened, but also the United States, Turkey, etc. We are threatened and intimidated by the so-called anti-war goons, who are in fact pro-war goons. So uh, I'd like to hear some responses. I'd like to hear what the Party for Socialism and Liberation has to say for themselves. And I'd like to hear what my, I should say, what my enemies in the Party for Socialism and Liberation, because they are my political enemies, have to say for themselves. With their activists, if we can use such a flattering word, their goons intimidating me for nonviolently standing in a public square to oppose the bombardment of civilian populations. I'd like to know what they have to say for themselves. And I'd also like to know what my former comrades at the War Resisters League have to say for themselves for their cowardly silence on this matter. So I look forward to hearing from you all. Please join us. Hopefully this strength in numbers. The more people we have standing for the people of Idlib in Union Square in New York City every Friday at 6 p.m., the better for all concerned, the better for us, and much more significantly, the better for the people of Idlib who deserve and demand every possible solidarity that we in the outside world can raise in their support. Please join our Syria Peace Vigil every Friday at the southern end of Union Square facing 14th Street, 6 p.m. in New York City. We're going to be doing it for at least another month or so. Once the weather starts to get too cold, we're going to be holding um, some indoor events, which I'll have more to say about on our next podcast. This has been the Counter Vortex with me, Bill Weinberg. Please leave a, leave a comment and tell me what you have to say. PSL, War Resisters League, and anybody else who's listening, join you next week. We're going to go out with, uh, once again, Idlib. The Revolution Lives by Dylan Connor. And if you're not in New York City, wherever you are, stand for it. The revolution lives. The revolution never dies. All eyes are on it live. Cause they're keeping it alive. Right back on the air Radio fresh it fills the sky Doing what many would not dare Dodging bullets from both sides Abdul Sarut is on the mic Leading a protest in the streets It's just like seven years ago No surrender, no retreat The revolution lives The revolution never dies All eyes are on it live Cause they're keeping it alive 
my mood is on the bridge above the Idlib highway sign, waving the revolution flag. Pride and defiance fill his eyes. Rania Kaiser stands above, filming the thousands with one voice. She tells the butcher he'll go down, and on the day we will rejoice. The revolution lives. The revolution never dies. All eyes are on it live. Cause they're keeping it alive. Well, something gotta give This just might be the time When we see the mountain top God give us strength to make the climb Whether Idlib is your home Or you came from another place Let's all sing the rally song it fills up every space The revolution lives The revolution never dies All eyes are on it live Cause they're keeping it alive The revolution lives All eyes are on it live Cause they're keeping it alive 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 Revolution never dies